It's a real privilege uh, to speak to you tonight. Thank you for, for having me. Carol and I have um, been really loved by Christ's covenant as a family. We're very grateful to be members of this church. I thank you for all the ways you've supported us and prayed for us, particularly, particularly over the past uh, few months uh, with little Cedric. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful to be here. And it is a real privilege uh, to speak to you tonight from God's words. It's also a special night tonight. As Pastor Derek said, my, my parents have flown in all the way from Dublin uh, today just to be here, just to, just to hear me preach, uh, which is nice of them. Um, it's, about, uh, it's about midnight, uh, 11 o'clock midnight for them. So if you do see them kind of drifting, their eyes closing, me grace, they're probably just thinking really hard about the sermon. Um, so uh, this morning uh, when uh, we were heading off to church, uh, Normally, we, uh, we ask the kids, uh, what, what should we pray for as we go uh, to church this morning? And before I got in the car, Caroline and Beatrix uh, were in the car, and, and BBC, she poked up and said, Mommy, when Daddy gets in the car, we should pray. And Caroline said, well, what should we pray? Uh, that we would listen with our ears and not with our mouth. That was, that was what she said, which is which really sweet. And then, and then Archie, as I was leaving him tonight to come here, um, uh, he, uh, he, said, he shouted after me, Daddy, say good things. So I think uh, what we'll do is we'll... we'll, we'll as we turn to God's word, we'll, we'll pray, we'll ask that God would give us listening ears and that God would help me to say uh, good things. Let's do that before we open God's word. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much that you are speaking God who speaks to us in the Bible. We pray that you would give us ears that would hear and with the measure that we use would be measured back to us. Help me now, Lord, to say good things, to say true things say helpful things, things that pertain to everlasting life, things that pertain to Christ. I ask this in his name, for his glory. Amen. Uh, tonight we're taking our reading uh, from the book of, continue, continuing in our series of 1 John. I'll be reading and preaching from chapter 2, verses 18 uh, to 27. So let's listen to the perfect uh, word of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
How do you feel about false teachers? Are you bothered when you hear of men who were once faithful Christians, who then turn their back on the faith, who are committed to the promotion of error? Perhaps you've come across these terms, trendy terms, now, those deconstructing the faith or ex-evangelicals. Be they Christian preachers, authors, or musicians that we've admired, that we've benefited from, or or be they people that we maybe know more intimately, maybe a mentor, a friend, a parent, or a child. Are you bothered when you hear of false teachers? And I'm not asking, are you irritated by the fact that they're teaching error? Neither am I asking, do you feel sad that they've left us? Because of course it's sad. They've left us, they've left the faith, they've left the church, they've left Christ. What I'm asking is, have you ever maybe felt a sense of, of the doubt? A sense that they may have had a good reason for rejecting the faith? You know, given their learning, the, their, the strength of their newfound convictions, the rejection of their old convictions are convictions. Perhaps, maybe it might be the, maybe we might be wrong. Well, in our text tonight, John, he moves to discuss uh, the doctrinal errors of Antichrist. Now, his concern is not to, to turn us into an army of heresy hunters, but rather his aim is to reassure us, reassure us in the face of false teaching that, of the certainty of what we have been taught. So rather than being a people who fixate or fret or, or just dwell on uh, the presence of antichrists in our world. John, he exhorts us uh, to three things. First, uh, to dwell on our anointing. Uh, second, uh, to let uh, our confession of Christ uh, dwell in us. And finally, and so ultimately, dwell in Christ. Uh, three things we'll be thinking about this evening. So firstly, John wants us not to dwell on the antichrists, but rather dwell on your anointing. In verse 18, John, he speaks of antichrist and antichrists, many antichrists. Now, there are many good men, much wiser, wiser men than me, who believe that antichrist uh, refers to a supremely uh, wicked opponent of the church, whose future coming is the final threat uh, that precedes Christ's return. Uh, but I think we've got to be careful, and we've we got to note that John says nothing else here about this figure. In fact, verse 18 seems to maybe subvert those expectations of a a singular enemy. So now many antichrists have come. Uh, Later in verse 22, uh, the antichrist is anyone who denies uh, key Christian doctrines. And significantly, the the word antichrist, it only appears twice, um, twice more in in our Bibles in the New Testament. And both places are in the letters of John. 1 John 4, 3, just a few chapters uh, on and then in 2 John verse 7 and on both those occasions uh, they're describing false teachers uh, generally uh, rather than a, a specific big bad guy uh, John spends no time elaborating on the, the coming of a singular antichrist so neither are we we're just going to move swiftly on for John's concern here isn't about a, a final future antichrist but as I say the many present antichrists and John, he gives us four, four initial reasons uh, why Christians, we shouldn't worry about the presence of false teachers and antichrists in our world. Uh, the first, twice in verse 18, John says, it is the last hour. This is the 
period of time following uh, Christ's death, resurrection and ascension, uh, and before his return to judge the earth. What else where the New Testament calls the last days? Uh, the days in which we still are living. It's in these days, in this that last hour, that the church of Jesus is being built from every nation under heaven. This is also the hour in which the church will inevitably face satanic and godless resistance. Just as when a wild animal is backed into the corner and his, his fangs, his claws come out, so in the last hour, the, the claws of Antichrist and the fangs of false teaching uh, emerge. Brothers and sisters, we've we got to be realistic. As the church grows, as time goes on, as, as Christ's return grows ever closer, as the church grows, antichrists will growl. False teachers will be present in our world. This is exactly verse, verse 18, John says, as you have heard. Uh, back in Matthew uh, 24, Jesus, he warns specifically of false Christs and false prophets who would come to terrorize and plague the church. Later in chapter 4, John, he identifies the antichrists as false prophets. Now, Jesus told us this would be normal, par for the course, but just, so, so fear not. It's all part of the plan. Nothing's going wrong when we see these men teaching error in our day and age. A second reason John gives not, us not to worry, verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Often what's most upsetting when uh, we do hear of false teaching is that it comes from those who, who are feigning to be or those who formerly were uh, uh, Christian leaders, pastors, theologians, authors, uh, those who devoted their lives to the, the study and the teaching of the faith. And then they went on to forsake it. What's going on? Have they discovered something we haven't? Like, what have I missed? Well, the, the wonderful truth is that, for us anyway, is that, the, is that they never discovered the truth in the first place. In leaving the faith, they, they showed they, they never had the faith. It's not that we haven't discovered something, it's that it's, it's they, they never discovered it. They haven't ceased to believe the faith because they never truly believed. Antichrists, they never, ever belonged to Christ. A third reason John doesn't want us to worry, verse 20, is because we have been anointed by the Holy One. Uh, here, here's a question. When sharing your faith, when kind of giving your testimony, have you ever described yourself as anointed? I know I haven't. Yep, that's what, how John describes Christians here. Verse 27, check it out. We have received the anointing. This anointing now abides in us. It teaches us about everything. What's going on? Well, anointing, anointing refers to uh, this, this special ritual uh, where a person is marked with a special oil uh, to signify that they've been, been set apart for a, for a special job. And in the Old Testament, there are several groups of people who were anointed for special tasks. You had the priests who were anointed for temple service. You had kings who were anointed to rule, and prophets who were anointed to speak to God's people, who were anointed to speak uh, God's word. Prophets, priests, and king. They were the anointed ones. 
And this is actually why, why Jesus is, is called the Christ. Because he is, he is the anointed one. Christ is simply the Greek word for anointed one. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And his anointing was not with oil, but it was with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed at his baptism. He claims as much in Luke 4 and the apostles that tell us that in Acts 10. At his baptism, Jesus, he, he was formally called and equipped to carry out his earthly mission. He was declared publicly by God to be God's beloved son. So for Christ to have been anointed is to, to, have received, to receive the Holy Spirit be anointed with the Holy Spirit. For us to be anointed, it means the same thing, to have received the Holy Spirit, yet this time from Jesus. To be anointed is to, have, is to be one who has received the Holy Spirit from Jesus. To have been born again by the Holy Spirit. To be set apart and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, filled with the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to hold fast to Jesus and to walk in his ways. Uh, there's a play on words here that you, you miss in English. Uh, the false teachers as, as antichrists are literally the anti-anointed ones. Whereas we are uh, those who have received the anointing. Uh, the, the word in the original language is, is charisma, Like charisma, Christ, you can kind of hear the similarity. If they are the antichrists, well we are the Christed or the christened. We are those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Those who are taught by the Holy Spirit, kept by the Holy Spirit, who belong to the Holy Spirit. We, as Christians, are those anointed with the holiest of oils, God himself. So rather than you know, fretting or fixating about the antichrists in the world, we are, we are to be a people who take heart, take comfort. In that Christ has christened us for himself, made us his own. And fourth reason John doesn't want us to worry in verse 20, you all have knowledge, is what John teaches us. And later in 27, his anointing teaches you about everything. Teaches you about everything. I'm sure our, our high schoolers, college students, and even my fellow seminarians, we'd love to be taught everything in time for midterms and finals. But, but John's point here isn't that, that Christians possess omniscience, that we know everything that could ever possibly be known, but, but rather... That we all have the knowledge that we need to truly know God. There is no secret or special knowledge known only to a few that most Christians don't have access to. That we must discover or receive in order to be truly saved. John's point is that if we've we've received the prophetic and apostolic word, we, in the Bible, we have all the knowledge we need for salvation, for worship. Uh, for godliness, to know God as our God and Father. It's in this book. It's likely that the Antichrists uh, were teaching that they alone had received a a new and special anointing from God. Uh, They they had a special uh, knowledge, uh, deeper insights, fresh interpretations of the faith. And what John asserts here, in contrast to that, is that every Christian who can access uh, what was first heard, if we can access the apostolic testimony, if we can read or hear the New Testament, we have all knowledge. And all of us have that knowledge. When John speaks of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the teaching of the, of the anointing in verse 27, he's not saying that um, the Holy Spirit teaches us new words. 
but rather he convinces and persuades us of the truth of these first words. John's encouragement in the face of false teachers is that we not, need not be intimidated by their learning or their confidence, but rather we are to be those inspired and cheered by what we have already received, the anointing and knowledge that has come from Christ himself to us. And of course, all this talk of, of antichrists and anointing raises the question, well, what exactly are these antichrists teaching? How do their lies deviate from the truth? Well, what is the truth? What, what is the truth that I need to know to believe? Well, that's our, our second thought for tonight. Don't dwell on the antichrists. Rather, let the confession of Christ dwell in you. Verse 21, John, he writes to reassure us of the truth that we receive by, by calling out the lies of the Antichrist. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Now, now John's Antichrists, uh, they're not denying Jesus' messiahship as such, but rather they're specifically uh, denying his uh, divinity, his godness. It's likely they confessed a love for, a loyalty to Jesus as a, as a man, as a good teacher. But they stop short at acknowledging him to be the Christ or the eternal son of the Father. Again, maybe a bit confusingly, they did, they did believe in Christ, but they recoiled at this idea that, that Christ, that the son could have, could have come in human flesh. Just a few chapters over in chapter four, John, he goes back to elaborate on their error. In four verse two, he talks about how the Antichrist denied Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Uh, that is, uh, that, that Jesus was the Christ, the divine Christ. That, that he, they, they denied that the Christ has become incarnate in Jesus. And then in 4 verse 3, uh, they, they denied Jesus is from the Father. That, that the man Jesus could have been from God uh, as a divine man. You see, for them, for the Antichrists, there was Jesus, the ordinary man who was not divine. And there was uh, the Christ, the Son, the, the divine be- spirit or present who was not incarnate. There were, there were two separate beings. And Christian history, Christian tradition, identifies a man called Serinthus uh, as one of the antichrists that John may have had in his sights. As Serinthus, we know, he taught that Jesus was an, an or, or, ordinary man. He taught that, that this, this man, Jesus, that he received at his baptism the divine presence, the Christ and the Christ remained with him all his life up until his crucifixion, at which point uh, the Christ left him. So it was only the man who died. And this theology, this, this anti-theology, if you will, by so dividing the person of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, into man, Jesus, and God, Christ, this, this anti-theology could be then used to justify a whole a range of ethical and spiritual errors. All the errors that we've seen so far in the book of 1 John. A low view of sin, a low view of our bodies, a low view of one another. And the physical was bad, that the spiritual was good. That's why the divine Christ could never become incarnate in their view. Because he would become tainted by the flesh of man. See, if the physical is bad and the divine is good, what we do in our bodies to ourselves or to one another, it it doesn't matter. What matters is is communion with God. Yet this this view, this teaching is utter darkness. 
lies. It is heresy. There is no human Jesus who is not also the divine son. He is one person. One person with two distinct natures. A human nature and a divine nature. God the son, he did not cease to be God when he became incarnate, when he, when he became a human. Rather, he, he added to himself an additional new human nature. He was conceived, born, lived, died, and rose as a human. There was no and is no Jesus who was not and is not God the Son, the eternal divine Christ. The person of God the Son always had and still has a divine nature. Yet since the moment he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, God the Son also now has a fully human nature. And to deny, to deny that, that full and proper divinity and humanity of the one person of Jesus. To deny this is to deny Jesus. There can be no Jesus unless, unless he is fully human and fully divine. Our salvation rests upon receiving and resting upon Christ as he is actually offered to us in the gospel. As he is revealed to us in the scriptures. Any alternative Jesus is no Lord or Savior. Any alternate Jesus cannot hold us fast as we were singing earlier. See, only a man can die for us and only God can save us. Only a man like us can die in our place for our sins, taking the punishment that our sins deserve. Only God is worthy and righteous enough to make atonement and bring about salvation, the salvation we all so desperately need. Come back with me to verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. One of the reasons the early church and the church throughout history has has used creeds and confessions and catechisms is is to clearly articulate uh, the truth, to summarize, not replace uh, what the Bible teaches. They're they're no more than aids uh, to our understanding. That are are dependent on and subject to uh, the perfect uh, word of God. Tools to teach us and guides to protect us uh, from false teaching. To to deny Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel is to deny Jesus. And to deny Jesus is to deny the Father. For only Jesus reveals the Father. Only Jesus reveals God the Father in mercy in love, forgiveness, and covenant faithfulness. Only in Jesus do we truly see the extent of God's brilliant holiness. That's why Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to know God personally, certainly, savingly, and everlastingly. It needs to be said then, doesn't it, that the religions of the world that, that lay some claim to Jesus, yet yet deny him as he's revealed to us in the scriptures, as true man and true God, are not of the Holy Spirit. Do not have Jesus, do not have the Father, and do not have life. Islam teaches that Jesus was just a human prophet, a mere man. Muslims do not know the Father. 
Mormonism teaches that Jesus is a holy separate, a distinct being apart from God. Mormons do not know the Son, and nor do they know the Father. Jehovah's Witnesses teach Jesus was a created being, a mere man in his incarnation. In denying the Son, they deny the Father. Of course, these are men and women made in God's image. These are our neighbors. We want to befriend them, love them, serve them, speak gently with them. But we are not of them. They are not of us, for they are not of Christ. And let's not be deceived. Rather, let us... Rather, let, let the truth abide in us, the confession of Christ, the, the scripture's testimony about Christ, let that dwell in us. And let us be those who pray that it would, it would abide in them also, that they would come to know Jesus, and in coming to know him, they would come to know the Father. Jesus, as he is revealed to us in the Bible, is the only way to the Father, yet, yet the fact that he is the way, the fact that he is the only way, that, that means there is a way. It's not good news. There is a way. God can be known. And not just known about, but, but known personally as, as our loving Heavenly Father, both now and forever. And, and, and don't miss the significance of this. You know, our, our joy is not simply that, that we can know God, but, but that we who confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are those who do know God. In and through and with Christ, you have God. God is your father. In Christ, we can have fellowship with the creator of all things. We know that we are loved by him and we can love him in return. To confess Jesus, to confess him is is to let what we've heard from the beginning abide in us. That is to let the truth as it comes to us in the Bible live in us, remain in us, shape us, inform us, guide us, teach us in every aspect of our lives. To let the word abide in us is to regularly expose ourselves as to its teaching and preaching, to its counsels and commands, its promises and precepts, its, its direction. And yes, to let the word abide in us is actually is to be those who confess it, who publicly cry out together and declare what we believe. You know, there's nothing, nothing magical about saying creeds, about reading portions of scripture out loud together in, in worship, but they are powerful expressions of our faith. Truly spiritual acts of worship. And when we make a statement corporately about what we believe, we are honoring God together by professing our allegiance to, to the flag of faith. The faith that he has taught us, the faith that saves us. Just bask in the beauty of how John ends this thought in verse 24. He says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Literally, he says, this is the promise that he promised to us, eternal life. To truly confess Jesus means salvation, forgiveness of sins, forever fellowship and family with the everlasting God. Jesus himself promised us this precious promise. Our salvation isn't just conjecture, wishful thinking, or, or a hot take on our part, but, but a promise signed in Jesus' blood, declared in his resurrection, applied to us by his Holy Spirit. 
John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgments, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. John eleven twenty four. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is the promise which our Savior promised us. Let his words dwell in you, define you, and drive you back to him. We see false teaching in our world. Don't, let us not be those who, who, who dwell on or are bothered by or hung, get hung up, who stumble or shaken by their words. But let us be those who dwell in our Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. See the very last words of our text tonight, abide in him. To be those anointed or christened by Christ, to have received the Holy Spirit, to be those taught by the Holy Spirit, to have him dwell within us. For all of us to have knowledge of all things pertaining to salvation and eternal life is really to know and believe this one thing, that our life, our hope, Our growth, our godliness, our love all rests and depends upon Jesus. So let us then, brothers and sisters, continue to be a people who trust in him. Let us continue to trust in what the scriptures teach us about him. Let us continue to seek him day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Let us come to him in faith and in prayer, seeking his grace, his strength, seeking conviction to live for him in a world full of false teaching and antichrists. When those doubts arise, brothers and sisters, return to Jesus. He who is the only son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of one being with the Father, return to him through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is our Jesus. Let not the lies of the false teachers drive you to despair or distract you from the grace, from the glory of your Lord and Savior. Dwell on your anointing. Let the confession of Christ dwell within you And so dwell in him. Let us pray that God would grant us to be people who dwell in him this week. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your son, for sending him to take on our flesh, to be our savior, to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, to live for us at your right hand, to intercede for us. We thank you. It is humbling to consider that those who profess Christ can fall. But reassuring to know that those who have faith, true faith, do not depart from you. Because you hold them fast. Lord, would you keep us in Christ this week? Keep us running to Christ. 
when doubts arise, would we run to him? Look upon him in all his grace and glory. Receive and rest upon him as he has offered to us in the scriptures. Please, Lord, hear our prayer in his name, for his sake. Amen.